Greetings, Hushlings. Welcome back to another installment of the Declassified Discussions. Today's guest is the author of Travels Through Time, Inside the Fourth Dimension, Time Travel, and Stack Time Theory, the Encounters with the Paranormal series, as well as the Amazon best-selling A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. He has also been on numerous television shows, including the Alaska Triangle on the Travel Channel and Ancient Aliens on the History Channel, among others. He produces his own supernatural-themed internet shows on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel, and he's the producer and director of The Shadow Dimension, which won the prize for Excellent Media in the Paranormal Field, pretty nice, at the 2019 Shockfest Film Festival. Hushlings, please welcome Mike Ricksecker. No, thanks so much for having me tonight, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for being on, and we appreciate your time. Before we really get going, just let the Hushlings and anybody else listening know what you're all about if they're not familiar with your work already. Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned a few things there. Um, yeah, this this new book of mine, Travels Through Time, is the uh, 13th one now that I've written. That's actually the start of a new series that I'm launching here, uh, Connecting the Universe which is also the name of the, uh, the podcast and live stream show that, uh, that I run as well. Um, yeah, like, like you said, I've been a number of, a uh, number of the shows, ancient aliens, unexplained with William Shatner, the haunted, the Alaska triangle, um, to some other uh, stuff on Gaia TV. And, um, yeah, I have a, uh, an online learning portal, uh, called the, uh, the connected universe portals. So, uh, we run weekly classes out there as well as, you know, some straight up courses and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, um, yeah, I've been involved some way, shape or form with the community for you know, over 30 years. And, uh, you know, I get out there on the road, do a lot of speaking engagements, which I just came back from, which I was apologizing to you guys, uh, just before the show, you know, excuse me if my voice is, is a little scratchy here, um, and you might hear me drinking a little water because I'm trying to <laughs> trying to strengthen it back up after after the weekend. So, um, yeah, I was looking at your YouTube channel and watching some videos. You get into some really great stuff, uh, very much so the type of stuff that our listeners are into, what we're into. I actually found you through coast to coast some episodes okay, yeah, that you great. did with them and look through all your work and i love it love it i can't wait until we dive right into the uh the time travel talk and really get into it yeah absolutely yeah the uh the youtube channel has really kind of evolved here over the last few years i mean i used to do a lot more like short form uh type videos on there and uh, have gone back and forth with doing the longer live stream shows and just with the way my schedule has gone over the past couple of years, I've just you know gone with more of the straighter, uh, just live stream shows. I'll, I'll take a topic and run with it for an hour, and then uh, we've reincorporated our uh, Edge of the Rabbit Hole show, which was another one that I did for a while. Just as a once a month, we're going to bring somebody in and interview them, kind of like this. Uh, so yeah, it's it's gone through its evolution, but uh, sounds like it's many of the same topics you guys cover. So we should have a pretty good discussion here. Well, with that being said, let's get into time travel. Let's just yeah. right off the bat. So what, if you can sum it up, 
into few words, what do you think that time travel is? If you could <laughs> nail it on the head, because there's so many different theories uh, take, as to take your what are time travelers. Yeah, take take your 324 page book and yeah, dense that down to like ten words. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we are already experiencing time travel. I think we see it in a lot of different types of forms. So. Um, I guess first and foremost, it's not a DeLorean in a flux capacitor, you know, as, as fun as that would be, right? Uh, it, it's not going to be that sort of thing. Um, it is most probably when we talk like real time travel um, is probably more along the lines of, you know, your consciousness and being able to project your consciousness to another point in time. Uh, it may also be some of these different things like ghosts, hauntings, uh, these type of apparitions, these type of experiences that people uh, see. And, uh, you know, they're actually some some sort of time slip. Um, so, you know, and of course, you have your theoretical physicists saying, well, you know, you, if you got near a black hole, uh, you know, space and time is, is warped. And if you got close enough and then came back to Earth, then time would be different. It's like, yeah, but we're not getting too... A black hole anytime soon and uh, if you did it'd probably destroy you but um so the book dives into uh, you know a lot of different possibilities you know, it looks there's a lot of philosophy in this so it looks back at you know like with the ancient uh with the ancient egyptians uh believed time to be what um you know the ancient greek philosophers believed it to be it looks at modern uh, you know, modern science, what modern science has actually been digging up on this subject, and then gets into a lot of different types of experiences that people have had that may actually be some form of, of time travel. So, um, yeah, trying to condense it down into <laughs> a few words is, is kind of difficult. But, um, yeah, I believe that um, you know, rather than some physical machine taking us to, you know, you know, the future or the past, I think it'll have more to do with, with our consciousness, uh, and more along the energy resonance, vibration, that sort of thing. You had mentioned what the Egyptians and the Greeks might've thought time were to be. Now, yeah. could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You look at a lot of the, uh, you know, ancient symbolism. Um, and, and I, Kind of dissect the the Ouroboros. So this was the you know, symbol of constant recycling, renewing. Um, you see a lot of uh, duality within this type of uh, of symbolism, and um, related to you know it originated with the uh, ancient Egyptians. You know, our first occurrence of this is on the uh, burial shrine of King Tut, and this became a very important uh, alchemical symbol. We you know we've deduced it, or at least from our knowledge that we have so far, uh, this to be the the first. Uh, alchemical symbol and you know the idea of you know as things die they are reborn again and not just like you know plant life or whatever here on earth we're talking about uh, you know our lives we're talking about the uh, you know life of the cosmos the universe uh, time as well uh, we see you know also with the ancient Egyptians um, you know, you look at what we call the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which was the actually the book of going forth by day. Uh, book of the Dead is a cooler term to use. Um, but, you know, within this, and basically it's like a series of spells, and there's no one complete version of it. Um, depends on how many spells they wanted to include 
with the person that was buried. So, you know, the, the most complete version that we have um, in one setting um, in the most beautifully ornate is the papyrus of Ani. Uh, it was found within his tomb. We don't know if he wrote it or his, his scribes wrote it. He was a royal scribe himself. Um, but basically it's following him in his story through the afterlife. And when he meets with Atom, which is one, uh, which is basically the, the God or Netter of creation, um, you know, he starts asking, you know, what will be the span of my life? Remember, he's already dead. He's already in the afterlife. Um, he's asking what the span of his life will be. And, and Atom uh, responds with, you know, it would be for millions on millions of years, a lifetime of millions and millions of years. And so he's basically like layering time. Um, so this is another way in which that, uh, you know, we see the how the ancients looked at time and that it was something more ethereal um, rather than, you know, Time is you know, a human construct, something that we've created to describe our reality, you know, to be able to keep track of things you know, like the seasons, uh, to know when to plant crops, to know when to get to uh, work at the right moment so our uh, bosses don't get upset. You know, it's it's uh, something that we have traded, uh, created as kind of almost like a record keeping. Uh, it's not something that's really natural to our universe. Uh, we are ourselves within the the fourth dimension uh which is time but that's our that's our consciousness that's residing there so this is something that we have created and um you know i guess going back to the ouroboros to kind of tie it uh the question back in uh what's fascinating about that ancient symbol is you know we have modern uh experiments and uh scientific reports that have been released, uh, peer-reviewed papers and scientific journals with uh, experiments that are going on down in Antarctica where they're finding proof based on the neutrinos down there of a parallel universe running in reverse time. And when you look again at that symbol of the Ouroboros and you have two tracks of colors, one running in one direction, one running the other, the snake eating its own tail, um, it's really symbolic of something that seemingly has been lost to time and here's our you know, modern science finally discovering it yet again. Following up on that, just thinking about the way that ancients kind of look looked at time, to you, do you think that in kind of in their theology that time was finite? Like I know it could go on and on and on, but eventually does that snake eat its own tail until it consumes itself and there's nothing left? No, because that's a that's a symbol of, of recycling, constant renewal, constant, eternal. Uh, so when they looked at time, yeah, they looked at it as something that was eternal, something that uh, was ever present. Um, you know, you look at something like the ancient uh, Aboriginal uh, religion, and they believed in the dream time. So, um, you know, all time, past, present, and future was all concurrent, was all happening at the same time, which when we start talking about stack time theory is something that I get into there. So for them, um, it wasn't even necessarily like a constant renewal and recycle. It was just ever present, constantly there uh, and absolutely eternal. Can you elaborate on this uh, stack time theory? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the basic idea of, of stack time theory, again, all time happening uh, concurrently. So um, take where you're sitting right now. Every moment that has happened is happening and will happen are all happening at the same time. You take each of those moments and you stack them up 
like a stack of photographs. And there are moments in which two of those moments will resonate the same frequency or vibration. And that's where we have something like a, a time slip or somebody might say they you know, see an apparition or a ghost or something like that. But the, the ghost or apparition turns and looks at them as if they are the ghost. Um, so, you know, within this, you're, it's um, so like years ago uh, when this thought was first occurring to me, I started researching this. I discovered it was actually you know, somewhat similar in concept to uh, you know, what Einstein was coming up with, with the space-time continuum, this block universe, that sort of thing. Um, but I took it a step further with these moments being uh, stacked on top of each other and being able to access them. Uh, but it's one of those, I think about the way the world is, constructed dimensionally. We have up to 11 different uh, hyperspatial dimensions. First being a line, uh, second being a plane, third is a three-dimensional object. Again, we are the fourth dimension, uh, which is our consciousness or what we call time. Um, but once you get to the fifth and above, then you're able to see time almost like an object. And so what would that look like to us? And so that's, um, you know, people talk about the, the Tesseract, which um, some you know, crude drawings of putting a cube on top of a cube, um, which really uh, is, I mean, it's kind of abrasive where you're taking a 3D object, putting it on, on top of another 3D object, because that's our, you know, that's our context of the world. You know, that's how we try to imagine things dimensionally. But it's probably something we don't quite understand or perceive. You take like, and there's a great analogy about, um, you know, the, the world of the Flatlanders. And this is basically a two-dimensional setting. And if you were a two-dimensional person, or if you're living in this two-dimensional world, how would a three-dimensional object look like to you? So, you know, say a sphere is passing through the two-dimensional world. Well, it would appear to them first starting as a small circle getting wider and wider and wider till it reached its apex. And then it would shrink back down as the sphere continued to pass through and beyond. Uh, they would never have, they don't have the dimensional geometry to be able to see what exactly that looked like uh, as, as a complete sphere. They would just see that circle. So they're not getting a, a whole picture of it. Um, but us being another dimension up would be able to see that whole sphere. So, those that are you know, above this dimension that we call time uh, would then be able to see it all at one time as a type of object and be able to access any of those moments. That makes me think, and we've talked about it many times, but I always like to get different people's perspectives on it. Extraterrestrials and time and traveling throughout mm -hmm. the universe is actually maybe them just accessing time realistically yeah. and you were also talking about maybe transferring consciousness as time travel we also got into that maybe that extraterrestrials were just a, a body that a consciousness was accessing across time and space in another location some sort of avatar or something like that yeah. um you know, are some of these extraterrestrials time travelers i mean i believe some are um you know i i never you know put something as to like, even though I've been talking like ghosts, apparitions, you know, some people see an entire scene morph in front of them. Um, I believe some of them are, I'm not going to say every single one. Same thing with extraterrestrials. I believe some of them are time travelers. Why well, I believe some are you know, physically coming here. Um, 
or, or they're traveling interdimensionally, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we I think we tend to forget, okay, we just mentioned, uh, okay, you know, up to 11 uh, hyperspatial dimensions, there are probably other beings and entities living within those other dimensions. So, you know, what would they look like? How do they travel? How do they move in and out? And if they're above, you know, what we are calling time, then they would be able to, you know, move freely in and out of there. So, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating with the UFOs, UAPs today. Um, there are some people who uh, say that, well, they're you know they're not extraterrestrials. They're us traveling from the uh, future to the past. Maybe there's some sort of resource that they need, or you know, some sort of research that they're doing. And you know, I'm I'm okay with that. That's an interesting idea as well. But you know, then I also throw out you know some other ideas. On top of that, like, well, you know, okay, they could be us from the future, you know, indigenous to Earth, but it could also be some other time traveler from Earth that's not us, that's not human. You know, say millions of years from now, humanity has finally annihilated itself or the planet became uninhabitable and we figured out a way to, to move off the planet, but some other race from another planet somewhere has ventured here, colonized it, perhaps they develop... Uh, time travel capability and go back in time. And that's what we're seeing. So it would still be indigenous here to earth, but would be technically an extraterrestrial from another planet that has ventured here, or even some other life form that millions of years from now has evolved, become intelligent and developed that technology. So still something here on earth, but not human. So of course we, as theorists, for a lack of better words, look mm -hmm. into these options for what UAPs and extraterrestrials could be. Do you think that the United States government and the Department of Defense is considering options like this, like what you're explaining for what we're seeing in the skies, or they're just looking at like other countries and outer space and that's it? Well, you know, we, we look at what... You know, went down in the the uap hearing which um i mean none of it was really new and uh the, the really the thing that i took away from it was that uh at least it was getting acknowledged and written into the record i think that's what we can take away from it but um you know the the stories you know like uh fravor talking about his experience with the the tic tac rush talking about well we've got um you know downed craft uh in our possession We've been talking about this stuff for decades. Um, so it was nice to actually uh, see some of that stuff talked about in a very public forum. So, um, but yeah, a lot of the uh, the uh, congressmen and women within that, uh, a lot of their concerns were about, you know, are, is this some sort of foreign power? Is it going to hurt our national defense, even if it is some sort of alien technology? So, and, and we have to look at, at those sorts of things. Um, but that's going to be the attention and the direction that they try to steer uh, the general public. Uh, the other things behind the scenes, um, you know, they're they're going to try to divert our attention from that. So they they can't continue to deny. The common person has too much technology in their hands these days to be able to see things going on in the skies. So they have to give up something. So fine, we'll divert the the attention over here. A legitimate concern anyway, uh, national defense and that sort of thing, while there are certainly many, many other things going on in the background. I think when it comes to the ability 
for the government to do different things that they're working on with extraterrestrial technology if they have it and whatnot. Do you think, in your personal opinion, that they're also doing experiments within time or with chi- with time travel in general? And do you know of any of these experiments? Um, I mean, I can't say specifically, you know, yes, this department is doing this testing over here. Um, other than um, there have been scientific experiments conducted in the lab in which they have successfully created a tiny wormhole. Uh, that paper was released last November. Uh, that was not our government, though. Excuse me a second. Told you I had the scratchy voice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that, sure, our government looks into a lot of this different uh, type of phenomena and technology for as long as they can. Uh, you know, we saw with, uh, you know, like the Stargate project, which wasn't about Stargates. Um, it actually had to do with remote viewing and, uh, of course, using, <coughs> excuse me, of course, using the, uh, psychic's ability to be able to view and spy on uh, foreign adversaries. So, you know, is is our government looking into the possibilities of using time travel? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, just kind of, I mean, I spent six years within the, within the military, a uh, few of those at NSA. So I kind of have an idea of how their minds work. Uh, one thing that you write about and have talked about on programs that I'm kind of curious with time, the portals. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people, and you've done a lot of work on uh, the Alaska Triangle, and there's you know the Bermuda Triangle, there's the Bridgewater Triangle, there's the Nevada Triangle. Yeah. We did an episode on those. What What are your thoughts on those areas? Do you think that those could be areas that could actually change time and space, or is it just could be like something worldly like a magnetic phenomenon that causes all these things to happen or people to go missing or we we have well, so many theories on that it's certainly a magnetic phenomenon i mean you know what when we're, when we're talking about locations like this um you know what's happening is you have the magnetic core of the earth um something that you know gives us our magnetic shield to protect us from um solar flares and things like that but as it passes through the earth's mantle and crust uh it interacts with different metals and minerals these sorts of things and creates different electromagnetic fields as it passes through those and so uh in areas like the bermuda triangle alaska triangle so forth um, these are areas in which you have those deposits within there and the electromagnetism from the core uh creating these unusual fields 1965 uh talking about Alaska specifically, uh, the U.S. Department of the Interior uh, conducted a survey of about 100,000 square miles uh, of the land up there. And Alaska's huge, silver 600,000, but 100,000 is still pretty good size. And they uh, discovered what they called five different magnetic characters up there. And within some of these, they uh, detected and defined some uh, magnetic anomalies. And I believe this is why we saw a device such as HARP built up there. They were able to use some of that electromagnetic activity for their experiments in the ionosphere with that device. So um, yeah, it's definitely uh, electromagnetism that's playing into this. But uh, knowing that, certainly uh, our government, our scientists, uh, these sorts of people are going to try to harness that and use it for their own means. 
So regarding consciousness and the hypothetical stacked time theory, what exactly do you think deja vu is? Is that right along the lines or up the alley of a time slip or something different? Yeah, a lot of times with deja vu, um, you know, people have a deja vu moment when uh, you know, they've had a dream of something and they might vaguely still have an inkling of it in their mind and they'll walk into a location and be like, oh, this is, this is really familiar. So uh, when, we, when we fall asleep, we enter into different brainwave states. And one of those, of course, you know, we, we dream. And we're able to do different things like, you know, access a collective unconscious. Uh, and also, you know, while we dream uh, and we're asleep and we enter into these different states, we're able to actually get glimpses and see other moments in time. So again, everything comes down to frequency, resonance, vibration. Um, and as we pass from this plane into others while we're in that state, we're able to tune into those different frequencies and get a glimpse. So we might see a whole scene play out before us and as we're asleep. And then weeks later, see the entire thing play out before us in real life. So in a sense, that is a type of time traveling while we're actually unconscious. Which would realistically just further the point that time is man-made and going beyond this fourth dimension, that it's accessible beyond a, a clock on the wall or your digital wall. Yeah, a, a clock on the wall is just a system of measurement. You know, that's what we have devised to keep track of. So we call it the, the river of time, right? Um, and what that really is, that type of analogy, is, you know, the, the water, think of that as time. It's flowing, it's flowing, it's flowing. But it's not the water that's keeping it flowing. It's the banks of the river. It's some sort of device that's been some sort of rule uh, that's been set in place to, you know, keep that flow going. But if you remove the banks, all that water spills out and is just, you can look at it as a giant lake or a puddle or whatever, but it's all accessible all at once, no longer moving. Um, another way to look at that rather than a river is, say you are you know, driving through a town, Um takes about 10 minutes to drive through it, going, I don't know, 35 miles an hour. Speed kind of doesn't matter. It's in this sense. Um, and let's say you pass a couple of houses, a store, a gas station, uh, that sort of thing as you're driving through this town. It takes you 10 minutes. Now, if you were to instead fly over it, you would see the houses, the gas station, the store, all that, all at once. And now what you had a time relationship with, you now see in space just all at once, which is kind of what we're talking about here, the ability to access everything at once if you take away those parameters that are holding it together. I like the way that you're looking at time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. You're kind of describing time in a way that a lot of people I don't think of even think that way. But I just want to switch gears here for a minute. You sure. also have done uh, a lot of work in in an entire book about shadow people. Uh, right. We actually we had a previous guest talk to us about shadow people. So I'm interested to get your take on shadow people, what they're all about. 
Right. It's it's a really, really interesting phenomenon that I think is really misunderstood. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, shadow people are evil, they're the darkest of the dark, that sort of thing. And yeah, some of them are. Um, but I, I, this is really simplistic. So um, I say shadow people are like people. Uh, some people are good, some people are bad, some shadow people are good, some shadow people are bad. You know, it just really depends on the particular type of shadow. And this is a phenomenon that um, you want to get asked, okay, what's a shadow person? Well, they can be a lot of different things. So sure, they could be a human spirit that is, you know, passed away, still here on earth, trying to manifest and can't fully come off as an apparition, so only comes off as a as a shadow. Uh, some of them are interdimensional beings. Some of them are extraterrestrial. Some of them could be astral projections that, um, that for whatever reason, unknowns to us, come off, comes off as a shadow. Uh, some people see like a shimmer type person, this sort of thing. So, excuse me again, I'm sorry. Uh, so there can be a lot of different things. There's no one real answer. It really ha comes down to uh, the way our eyes work. So, you know, our eyes only see into a very narrow uh, band of the spectrum. There's much, much more going on around us that we can't see. Uh, you know, our, our, our pets, our cats and dogs can see more than, than we do. Um, so there's a lot more going on there. And when something passes into our plane of existence that our eyes can't completely adjust to because of that, that wavelength, that frequency, you know, we see different things could be an apparition, could be a shimmer type person, could could be the shadow. Um, and so to kind of sum that up is, you know, these can really be several different types of entities or beings using the same energetic modality, so to speak, uh, to enter into our plane of existence. Mike, so what you're saying is that we might all be surrounded by some sort of entities and some other frequency where they reside in some other uh, wavelength where they can see us and we can't see them or maybe vice versa or neither of us can see each other but under certain circumstances it would cause us to be able to see them but they, they might already be there yeah um, absolutely and, and again you know we, we talked earlier about dimensions and so you know we have all these other dimensions around us that yeah, sure, we don't normally see them, we don't normally interact with them, but every once in a while we get that glimpse. Something enters into our plane of existence. And again, it comes down to that frequency, resonance, and vibration. Sometimes you get a moment that just, you know, I and maybe this other entity happen to resonate at the same frequency for a moment, and we get a glimpse of it. Uh, it doesn't last for long. We don't always, we don't really understand what the catalyst is. If we did, we'd probably try to make that happen a lot more often so we could see more of it um, or be able to access it again like with time travel if we could like harness that and learn how to uh, turn ourselves into it uh, that'd be wonderful uh, let me let me give an example here of uh, something that's kind of really eye-opening to me um, so we were doing a paranormal investigation some years back of a it's mineral springs hotel alton illinois and um I, been running a conference earlier that day and we did these investigations afterward and we just had a small group with us by the end of the night and we're up in uh the abandoned part of the hotel in a room called pearl's room it's confirmed suicide uh it's a really sad story people have reportedly seen her there so we're doing some work up there um i also started hearing some uh, noises from down the hall 
So go out to the hallway, kind of looking down. And from the end of the hallway, I see this smoke starting to billow forth. And it's like, oh, what's going on here? You know, thinking, you know, first you're thinking fire, but, you know, smell any smoke. And it's getting closer and closer. It's doing something really weird. It's uh, creeping up the wall on the right-hand side of the hallway and creep back down and creep back up. All the while, it's coming closer and closer. All the others had joined me by then. And uh, finally, this one time as it creeps up uh, the wall on the right-hand side of the hall, it morphs into the apparition of this little girl. And suddenly, all of us are like, come closer, come closer, trying to get her to come up to us. She stopped right at this doorway in which many of the stories from the hotel say there's a little girl spirit in that room. So they leave like teddy bears and, you know, little balls and dolls and things like that in there for her to play with. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd been there many times and never seen her interacted with her. But all of a sudden, boom, there she was. Five of us there that uh, were seeing her. And what's fascinating is that all of us saw her a little bit differently. So I saw her fully formed from her head all the way down to about her knees, and then she dissipated away. Others saw her fully formed at her feet, and then on upward and at her head, she was dissipating away. So you know, we, we all as humans have our own personal resonance, um, anywhere between 9 to 16 hertz. We're all a little bit different. Um, and so that's why when you're in this type of situation, you're going to see this type of phenomena a little bit differently. So you know, I'm seeing her from the head down to her knees, others seeing her feet up to her head. Uh, it's because, you know, I'm resonating at a different frequency than Tom and Nick and, you know, these other people that are, that are with us. So, um, yeah, this is why, um, some people see like more apparitions and shadows. Some people see more shadows and apparitions. Some people are able to see these shimmers, um, you know, all this different. And then some people don't see anything, right? <laughs> um, but we're all a little different in, in that regards. And it really always comes down to frequency, resonance, vibration. So we actually have the ability, depending on our frequency, we have the ability to see these unseen wavelengths that come in and out, which would explain all these types of things for certain people? Yeah, I think it's a matter of tuning in. So um, like with me over the years, and I, I had a shadow person experience when I was a child and I saw um, some others when I was a teenager and then as an adult here and there. Um, and I think I've become in tune to that. So when that uh, phenomenon is around me, my, my resonance is able to tune in and see it a little bit better uh, than something like, you know, an apparition or some of these other beings and entities that are around us. So, um, yeah, we're, we're able to tune, but it's not something, this is, this is what I've been saying here lately is that um, I think it's going to be like through meditation that if we really learn how to, uh, you know, get into our own uh, frequency and vibration, then we can uh, specifically tune it to these different frequencies to be able to experience some of these other beings, entities, realities, uh, that sort of thing. So that's where I say it's like, it comes down to the consciousness, it comes more down to us than you know, maybe a machine. There's different wavelengths of light, right? So there's certain times, uh, there, there are certain things we just can't see, like we can't see infrared. That's why we came up with an yeah. infrared camera uh, and, and that sort of thing. So. Um, so when we see these things, it's 
we're still not going to be able to see everything, you know, because our eyes are, are, are limited. But, you know, you can actually see partly a little bit into the infrared out of the corners of your eyes because of the ways your eyes are constructed with the rods and cones. So you can you can tune it a little bit in, in being able to see some of these other things. But I think it has more to do, again, with the consciousness rather than the physicality of our body. So um, you think so we by nature are multidimensional beings. We're in a third dimensional body, but our consciousness is fourth dimensional. Um, so we have the ability to be able to see things beyond our own physicality. And that's going to be basically on another dimension than the physical. So when people talk about like third eye and that sort of thing, um, kind of adheres you know, more to that. So when we, when we do travel through time or something like that, it's going to be more on the consciousness level. People have been asking me, you know, can we physically go there, take the physical body? And that's one that I'm like, I don't know if we'll be able to take our physical body there. But, um, you know, the projection of our consciousness, we, when we talk like things like astral projection, things like this, um, you know, we're able to see, you know, a physical body in those in those moments or we see like a ghost or apparition we're seeing a body so it's like the consciousness takes that form uh even though if i was able to walk up to it i could probably stick my hand through it so um so there's still some mystery to all of this moving forward a couple of decades with technology similar to Neuralink or augmented reality mm -hmm. glasses or goggles or implants, yeah. whatever you want to call it. How do you see technology like that shaping the way that we perceive reality outside of just being able to look at Facebook without having your smartphone in your hand? Do you think that technology like that will have any sort of change in how we perceive reality when it comes to wavelengths and possibly being able to interact with different dimensions yeah how do we um <laughs> yeah what then is the reality or do we become the simulation within the simulation uh that sort of thing uh, it's it's fascinating where technology is going um it's, it's taking us to places that uh you know previously you know was, was science fiction or um or maybe only somebody like Tesla had once thought of it. Um, he was way ahead of his time with a lot of his thoughts. Unfortunately, he was laughed out of the room half the time. Um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna cause us to question, you know, what really is reality. Um, you know, there's a lot of fascinating things that are going to come about. You know, getting you know, the contacts in your eyes where everything in front of you is is augmented. Um, you know, I've I've got. Uh, some of the the VR headsets and it's it's really fascinating to walk around in those environments. You, unfortunately, you can still walk into your wall uh, if you don't have the if you don't have it set up correctly. Uh, but being able to see and interact within those environments really does cause you to question: Okay, what is real? And I do believe we are living in a simulation. Um, the augmented reality part of it is really kind of like bending the rules uh of our of our current simulation so then it causes you to question okay how many layers deep are we are we about to go down another layer so you're full pro simulation theory you believe we're in a simulation we are and i don't but see the thing is i don't necessarily believe it's a computer simulation we think of okay. it like that yeah we think of it as a computer simulation because that's you know the epitome of our technology right now. We, and of course, you know, we saw the Matrix movies and all that sort of thing. I think it's be something more organic, biological, 
um, down to molecular level, that sort of thing. Um, good example here is uh, mentioned Tesla a moment ago. You know, 130 years ago, he built his uh, automaton, which was basically it was a little submarine. You could, uh, during the Spanish-American War, he could launch torpedoes from it. Um, but you know, he had constructed it such that he was like, you know, I'm, you know, this thing is going to be able to make its own decision. So it will know where to go, where the enemy is. It will know when to fire the torpedoes, uh, that sort of stuff. And people laughed him out of the room for this. And then he even took it a step further where he was like, no, I believe I can make an automaton of myself and basically give it the instruction set to be able to make decisions just as I would. Now, he's basically talking like, you know, okay, the automaton would be a drone. Uh, his automaton of himself would be like some sort of robot with AI, right? Something that we really haven't uh, developed here until the last few decades. And But the thing is, is with his idea of the automaton, he's thinking, okay, this is like gears, wheels, radio waves, that sort of thing. He had no idea what the silicon microchip was at that time. Uh, it wasn't even invented till after he passed away. So while he had the ideas and the concepts, the technology for him to be able to pull it off the right way was not there yet. And I, I think the same thing with us that, yeah, while we're thinking of uh, you know, our version of AI and simulation and all that as computers, I think it's something even greater than that, that we haven't conceived yet. Do you think some of these outliers like Tesla and others, maybe they themselves are time travelers or <laughs> were able to see across those wavelengths and see the future for lack of a better term? So another form of quote unquote, time traveling to consider here is not necessarily like a physical type of time traveling. But again, when we're talking like consciousness, um, there's other uh, things that we can tap into, uh, like eternal knowledge, collective unconscious. Uh, some people talk about the Akashic records, these sorts of things that, you know, there is um, you know, knowledge there throughout the universe that we are able to access. Uh, so, you know, Tesla, was he able to you know, in his thought experiments, in his uh, sleeping state, was he able to access some of these different things? I believe so. Um, you know, we do know that when he was younger, a uh, very young man, he had claimed to have actually astral projected. So this is something that he was already kind of uh, you know, looking into, at least at a very young age, was you know expanding his consciousness beyond the physical body. So. Um, if we take a look at it as, okay, we're in a simulation, we're in, and we can use a you know computer program just because that's the context of our uh, current civilization of, of where we're at. Um, you know, if you look at, wow, you, you could say a video game, flight simulator, whatever it is, um, the program's already, the entire thing is already there. So if I'm playing around in a video game or whatever, um, you know, basically I'm going level to level to level, you know, pretty linearly. Um, even if it's an open world environment, you know, I have to get from one place to another, maybe it's some missions I need to, whatever it is, but it's still pretty linearly. You, you don't have access to everything all at once, but the programmer outside of that, you know, can, they, they can get this, this spot, this spot, this spot, this spot. It's all, it's all accessible to them, but you know, it's still all encompassed into that one program. So it's all there. So if 
I had the ability of somebody within that environment and I had maybe it's access code, maybe it's a back door, uh, maybe I figure out a way to give myself admin rights, I could get to any place within that program because it's all already there. And I believe that's the same with our universe. All the information in the universe is here. It's already loaded up. And it's just a matter of being able to access it. And I think in these different states of being that we can bring our consciousness to, we can access some of those different things. And I think that guys like Tesla, I think they were able to do that. And Tesla, well, so he's able to do that. But then we have like more ancient peoples that used substances, which is, I guess is kind of like, like you said, a backdoor cheat code to really in a yeah, game. Like using change. ayahuasca or something like that. Yeah. 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 So definitely there must be something else there, like you say, that is accessible because we can change brain chemistry and alter it and go to certain places. So it's not, I personally don't think it's very outlandish to think that Tesla would be able to do something like that even without the help of a, like a, a psychedelic compound like that. Do you think that the ancients actually had like more ancient peoples, not even just like the Egyptians, but definitely Mesoamerica, South America, and all those mm -hmm. areas had that type of knowledge that we don't normally use on a daily basis to where you can access this, I guess, yeah, it's, source it's, code. Yeah, it's it's knowledge that's been lost a ton. Um, I mean, some you, you still see... Um, some cultures, like when we talk about ayahuasca, um, some cultures still utilizing it and it's starting to make its way back. You know, it's starting to become uh, a little bit more accepted. You know, it's, uh, we had those uh, European cultures kind of dominate the world for so long um, that, you know, really cut us off from our ancient origins. And yeah, the, the ancients, you know, they were privy to a lot of this information or they knew how to tap into it. That's why you see like, okay, you know, uh, the pyramids built all over the world, the stone circles built all over the world. You know, they were doing things to be able to harness that energy and be able to utilize it uh, for different purposes. And, you know, you go into some of those now and you, know, you can feel some of that energy. Um, example I love to give is uh, Drombeg Stone Circle in Ireland, which I visited a little bit over a year ago. It's a smaller stone circle. Uh, you stand right dead in the center of it and just start to talk a little bit. And you can hear, I mean, sure, it's sound waves. You know, you got the reverberation coming back at you. Um, and it's it's almost like deafening to stand in this little circle and hear yourself talk. Um, it's It feels like you're in some sort of sound chamber. Now, this circle is thousands of years old. It's missing some of the stones. So, you know, it's missing components. Uh, the stones are weathered down. They're much smaller than they used to be. And yet it's still extremely palpable. So trying to imagine uh, thousands of years ago when this thing was at its height um, and just doing like some chanting, um, that would be extremely, extremely powerful. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot that's been lost to time that, you know, they had access to that they were using for you know, whether it was healing purposes, because, uh, you know, there's uh, certainly evidence of, of sound healing, uh, whether they're using it to enter altered states of consciousness, like we've been talking about, or whether they're using it for like portals or stargates. I think all of that is on the table and we need to start re-exploring it. Yeah, that's something I never thought about is like the deterioration of some of these structures. I guess that's not something that a lot of people really think of, I guess, or, or at least talk about is maybe 
how these mega structures or these weird stone structures, how they were intended to be when they were first built and what they were in all their might on all their mass, I guess you could say. But you were just talking about Egypt. And I know that you have a connection with Egypt yeah. and and Atlantis. And we're very interested in, in Atlantis theory and stuff like that. Could sure. you talk a little bit about that connection? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we do the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour here uh, going back in April uh, of, of next year. And yeah, there's definitely uh, connections there between Egypt and Atlantis. And so, you know, when we talk about Atlantis, of course, we're talking about, uh, you know, Plato and the Timaeus and Critias. Uh, but really, the story originates from Solon, which was his great, great uncle. I shouldn't say originate, but came to Plato via him. Um, and he had spent a lot of time in Egypt at the uh, Temple of Sais. So this was, you know, a uh, big learning center. Uh, uh, large temple back in the day. A lot of uh, many scholars were there. Uh, a lot of the the Egyptian priests. So he went to learn all this information. And the story of Atlantis was there. Now the temple of Sais is gone. Um, there's some ruins there now, but it's it's a completely decimated. So we can't see what was written on the walls. Scrolls are gone. That sort of thing. But um, a, a lot of that information from Sais we find scattered uh, throughout Egypt. So when we look at the temple of Edfu. Um, we see part of that story there where you had the great cataclysm and you had uh, the people, you know, repopulating uh, the earth from that. And, um, you know, we're getting pieces of that story of Atlantis uh, within there. So, you know, you see it throughout other cultures as well. It's like a memory where uh, you see, you know, we know that, you know, I'll say the capital of Atlantis, Atlantis. A lot of people just think of the city with the concentric circles and all that sort of thing. But this was a um, civilization that was spread across the world. So uh, they had many colonies and uh, cities and things like this. And uh, you know, really the crown jewel, of course, would be the, the city with the concentric circles. And we see um, those concentric circles all over the world as basically like a, a memory of Atlantis we see in Sardinia. We actually um, you know, see it up in Ireland. Uh, we see it back in Egypt all over the place, especially in some of the more ancient pieces of pottery, things like this. We actually see it uh, in America, in the American Southwest. And what's interesting about those particular mm. concentric circles is, in the spiral pattern as well, is we see these designated by um, the indigenous peoples as portals. And the star people would access these portals to come here. So, you know, with... I mean, think back to Atlantis and this, they had, you know, technology that um, different than ours, but was still a, a very high technology. You know, they had these temples, they had these stargates in which they were, uh, you know, accessing other worlds and beyond. So, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, what these depictions of, of Atlantis and the portals and things like that, that's what they are, is it's a, it's a memory of the civilization that had been in Egypt. Those are survivors of Atlantis. They're survivors. What do you think 
this cataclysm was because there's many people who have many different theories. There's not uh, Graham Hancock's theory and uh, Randall Carlson Carlson jumps on that with uh, the comet impact theory that that caused something. And then their connections with Plato talking about the dates of, I guess the younger driest period that they talk right, about. Certainly. I mean, the dates make sense and aligns up. And, you know, we know st- the stories and every culture has the flood story. Something happened. So, um, I mean, you, you see some, some breakdown within the community of, yeah, you have Graham uh, with the common impact theory. You have Robert Schock with, uh, you know, the solar flare theories. And they're both plausible. Um, and the thing is, I don't know if we're ever going to really know truly what the cataclysm was. Um, but let's just agree that there was a, a cataclysm. Because uh, right now, the mainstream traditional uh, approach, you know, the narrative that we've been spoon-fed for um, decades, if not you know, over 100 years now, um, you know, they're kind of they're kind of laughing at the community at uh, you know let them you know let them destroy themselves. You get these couple of different sides, maybe maybe a third, fourth theory thrown in there. And they start butting heads over you know, well, you know, this is the cataclysm, that's the cataclysm, guys. What the cataclysm was is almost kind of irrelevant. The fact is the cataclysm happened and destroyed the civilization that was there. Whatever the cataclysm was, that that part doesn't matter so much. We need to talk about what that civilization was and what type of technology and knowledge that they had. You know, we, we don't need to bicker over what the cataclysm was. Well, Mike, we've just about hit the one hour mark. And let me tell you, we are very grateful for having you on tonight. Thank you for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. But for right now, now's your time to let our listeners know where they can find you, find your books, let them know what you've got in the works, all that good stuff. Stage is yours, sir. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at MikeRickSecker.com. All my books are available there. Also, connect to Universe Portal dot com and that's my online learning platform and then like you said uh youtube which i've rebranded as the mike ricksecker channel um although you can still get there through honda road media uh yeah i have a lot of different projects coming up um i'm in post-production on shadow dimension season two of course i've been doing a lot of promotion for the new book travels through time uh but that is the first part of a series and so we'll uh pick up that mantle with some other works after that actually then i will tell you the next one is on uh stargates of ancient egypt which is what our tour is and uh, again we'll be doing another one of those in april awesome mike and yeah guys if you have not checked out his youtube or any of his books please do so uh the youtube channel especially is awesome mike thanks again we appreciate you and guys we're going to have all mike's links down in the show notes as always so if you want to find his stuff very easy thanks again everyone for coming by the declassified discussions i'm mr mike i'm declassified dave and i'm sick frank sanders